unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And welcome to a special edition of the program. Tonight we do a UCF roundtable with some of the finest folks who cover the nights in the podcast and online space. Let's get to it, shall we? And our panel alphabetically by first name. Colleague of mine for the Nightline Sports Network, one of the co-hosts of Sons of UCF, we welcome Adam Eaton. Adam, how are you? I'm good, Jeff. This is the first time that my name actually comes in handy, so I appreciate the, uh, the alphabetizing of, uh, of my name. <laughs> and uh, do you ever use the, ever tempted to uh, introduce yourself as Adam Eaton of the Washington Nationals? No, I get that a lot, though. There actually was a pitcher uh, in the early 2000s to play for the Padres and the Rangers. I get that a lot, too. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, joining us uh, today, and then... We go to Brandon Helwig from UCSports.com. Brandon, really kind of the godfather of all online coverage of UCF. Brandon, we thank you for being here. Um, it's great to be here. Excited for uh, another season to get underway here in, uh, in about two weeks. Yeah. Or about, about a week. I'm sorry, about a week, really. <laughs> yes, it, yeah. it's going to be here before you know it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And also joining us is Eric Lopez from the Black and Gold Banner Rep, both the website and the podcast. Eric also covers uh, softball, the Orlando Magic, one of the hardest working men in show business. Elo, thanks for being here. I'm just honored to be in presence of uh, the greatness here. We've got everybody, the main people that cover UCF in different platforms. This is pretty fun. Yeah, it certainly is. And Jason Beatty from Knights247.com. Jason, also just fresh off a wildly successful internship at the Orlando Sentinel. Jason, thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be part of this uh, little fun roundtable. And uh, it's crazy that the season is finally here. It's single digits. Yes, and uh, and I have finally gotten over the fact that when you were an intern, you got your ergonomic chair before I did. So <laughs> I'm not going to hold that against you today. <laughs> it was a fun. It was a fun time, uh, and especially getting the new chair. That was that was pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get some. Yes, exactly. Got to get something for the effort, for sure. So let's get to it, and uh, we will go in alphabetical order as well as we go through the roundtable, and. Um, I will also ask you guys to kind of think about towards the end, we will have a a bold prediction opportunity for you at the end. So you can be thinking about that as we go through this. So the first question, I'm going to go with the obvious one. Who will be the backup left tackle? Backup left tackle. Uh, Great one. Great one. Let me check my depth charts really quick. (laughs) No, no. Obviously, we're going to talk QB1. Adam, who do you think takes that very first snap from center? against A&M. Yeah, uh, I, so my money's on Wimbush. Uh, I think Brandon Wimbush takes a snap. I don't have any inside information. I don't think anybody does. I don't think Mrs. Heupel has inside information on this one. Um, I just think if, if, I, if I have to, you know, put myself in, in coach's shoes and analyze what I think he's about, I think he values the football. He values decision-making. And I feel like even though there's some things with Brandon Wimbush that we, we've seen on film and we've, we've seen snippets and you know, the guys on here and, and Jason and Brandon have done a nice job of, of shooting video for us. I think Hypo will live with, you know, Brandon throwing a, a second and 10 slant seven yards in the ground versus Dylan Gabriel throwing a second and 10 slant to the other team for six. So I think he's going to value that leadership. I think he'll value um, sort of the security that I, I think he'll get from a, a, a redshirt senior, if you will. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the nod to, uh, to Brandon Winbush as the QB1 for the family. Brandon, you're next. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of can, I concur with Adam there. Uh, I think Brandon Wimbush will be the game one starter. I think it's kind of up in the air what happens beyond game one and game two. I mean, there's a lot of variables in play. It's not just, you know, Brandon versus Dylan Gabriel versus Quadri Jones. It's also when Daryl Mack comes back from his ankle injury. And, you know, I've heard he's made pretty good progress. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly exactly the time frame, but there's talk that maybe by that second, third week, maybe around that, that Stanford game, he could be good enough to return to, to practice. And, you know, I, I don't think he's going to, you know, jump in and he's not going to be given the starting job or anything, but there's a lot of interesting dynamics. It's if you start Brandon Wimbush, uh, are you playing Dylan Gabriel to get him experience? Are you thinking about, well, we want to be cautious with playing him because we don't want to play him in more than four games and burn his redshirt year? Or do you play him early because you think he's good enough to potentially beat out Brandon Wimbush? When you look at, you know, look at a guy like Brock Purdy at Iowa State, a quarterback that UCF recruited heavily, and he got his opportunity. Uh, he wasn't the starter. I'm not even sure if he was the backup heading into – last season at Iowa State got his opportunity and just played amazingly and now is going to be considered one of the top quarterbacks in the Big 12 coming back so do you try to get Dylan early experience but if we just are naming the starter for the first play of FAMU I think it's Brandon Wimbush but there's so much going on in that position it kind of makes my head spin. Eric? I'm 100% with Brandon on it I think I think Wimbush will start but I, I agree with him and I think this this quarterback situation perhaps one of the most unique ones in UCF history because I think there's a lot of questions of, okay, who starts, but then what about Dylan Gabriel? Is he the backup? If he's the backup, does he come in and play? When does he play? Does he play early significant snaps, or is he a mop-up guy? What about Quadri Jones? When does Mac return? I think there's still a lot of questions that we probably won't know, as Brandon alluded to, during the season. And I'll give you – I'll back him up with this. Since 2007, when the uh, stadium opened on campus, I don't know if you guys realize this, there's only been four seasons in UCF football where the start, the guy that was named the starting quarterback started every game and played every significant snap of that season. Only four. That was Kyle Israel in 2007. That was Blake Bortles in 2012 and 2013 and McKenzie Milton in 2017. Every other season, You've had either some sort of change in quarterback, either for a benching of a quarterback, injuries, or like we had in 2011 where Blake Bortles and Jeff Godfrey became kind of a, a split situation, even though Godfrey started every game, Bortles came in relief. So, you know, to back up Brandon and history, history would suggest that regardless of whenever they named the quarterback, the story's far from over. Jason, your turn. Yeah, that's uh... – Obviously, a great factor right there from Eric Lopez. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to agree, and it's going to be uh, unanimous. I think Brandon Wimbush will be the week one starter. But, um, you know, I think I, I think that's what a lot of fans expected. I think that's what Brandon Wimbush expected when he made the decision to come to UCF. Um, but there's a lot of talent behind him. Um, obviously, with the scenario of Daryl Matt coming back, how healthy is he and how quick can he – play right away or uh, do they work him in slowly depending on how Brandon Wimbush is going. Um, and if you do play multiple quarterbacks against FAMU or even FAU uh, week two, um, you know, I really also believe it depends on the schedule. I mean, if the team's, you know, five and oh, you stick with the guy, right. But if they're, you know, four and two or three and one, you maybe switch, switch things up depending on the, depending on the individual performances. Um, but in terms of week one, next Thursday, I think Brandon Wimbush runs out with the starters for sure. 
And I think you can also, I think we've all probably said it at one time or another, there's a good possibility that uh, three quarterbacks will play in the A&M game uh, if situation uh, dictates that opportunity. And um, and I kind of also kind of go with the thought, you really can't read into who starts and takes the first snap. Um, this could still be a an audition period in game number one, as far as that goes. Um, next question is a two-part potential question. Will UCF run the table again? And if so, who will give them the toughest test? Adam? All right, so I think they'll run the regular season table. Um, and so I want to caveat that. I, I think it's hard to project out the conference championships and what happens past then. I do think they're going to run the regular season table. Um, and, and look, it's the easy answer for me, but I do think Stanford is the game that we have to watch out for. Stanford and Houston would be the two that I would think about the most of. I think Stanford, they play a different style of ball, I think, than we see uh, traditionally. You know, I think they have more depth. Uh, obviously, they're a running team, and, and uh, our D-line is probably the area that we're, we're most questioning as, as we go into the, to the season this year. So I think that plays into Stanford's strengths. Um, plus, I think there's going to be a lot of hype in that game, right? A, a power five, quote-unquote, opponent. Um, so I'm going to go Stanford as the team that gives us the most trouble. But I do think we'll run the regular season table. Brandon. Yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to to pick against UCF at this point uh, of winning every game. I, I think the team is certainly capable of doing so. Um, that being said, I mean, you need a little bit of luck sometimes. And, you know, you, you don't know what to expect from that quarterback position like we just talked about. And, and, that, and that kicking game, I mean, that's something that UCF has had, you know, really money with Matt Wright the past few years. But, you know, UCF never had to really rely on Matt Wright to kick a last-second game-winning kick. So those are some questions I have. But that said, the talent is certainly there. If the defensive line is improved, or at least they got enough bodies to make things work, um, I I would feel a lot better there. Um, I mean, Stanford, I mean, that's the season is going to come down in a lot of ways, and I know that's kind of overdramatic because you can still win the conference championship even if you lose to Stanford, but I think UCF is at a point where, yeah, winning the conference championship is great and nice, but you want to make sure you pretty much always are going to get in that New Year's Six bowl game, and that's kind of use of obviously has puffed their chest the last few years and, and been in that spot, and I think that's where the expectation lies, and we'll see what happens with, you know, Boise State and Florida State, but you know, if it's a situation where Boise State early on, if they go and knock off Florida State early in the year, you know, that puts the pressure on UCF. You know, you can't lose if you want to be in the running for, for that game. So, uh, toughest game, Stanford and, and Houston. De'Eric King is going to be a senior. Uh, you know, they got the new coach down at, at Houston, uh, Dana Holgerson. Uh, I know he's going to have that team rolling. Um, you know, who knows? That could be a game – that happens twice. You know, that could be a game that uh, happens in early December as well. But, yeah, those are the, the two biggest ones that, that I see. Eric. Well, I, I think Houston is, to me, on the top of the list. And the reason is, is what Brandon just mentioned, is De'Eric King. If you look at this two-year run for UCF, other than last year's Siesta Bowl, you could have made the argument that UCF had the best quarterback on the field on both sides and probably the best player on the field, regardless, with Mackenzie Milton. In that Houston game, if De'Eric King is as healthy, is back healthy, he's the best player on the field. Uh, he scored 50 touchdowns before he got hurt last year. I think they would have given UCF problems had they ended up playing UCF last year in the title game. And he's a difference maker. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to end up playing twice. And it wouldn't shock me if Houston upset them 
uh, because King just goes bonkers. Because we all think back to that Quinton Flowers and the trouble he gave UCF in 2017. I could see King doing that. So I actually think Houston uh, could be a loss. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to say Cincinnati on the road on a Friday night could always be tricky. I'm just not sold that Cincinnati is at the level talent-wise of UCF yet. And then I think Stanford is going to be a game in the trenches. Stanford likes to play physical. How does UCF handle that? Uh, I think they trip up, but I still think they end up with the destined, their ultimate goals of ending up in the New Year's Six Bowl. Even if they trip up, it just depends on who they trip up with. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go odds me here and say they'll trip up somewhere. All right, Jason. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, obviously, like we've said before here, uh, it takes a lot of luck to win a lot of the games. You look at some of the close games and, even in the 2017 season and last year, you know, at Memphis, it just it took a lot of, you know, a little room for error. Uh, it's, it's hard to win football games, uh, every single one of them. Um, you know, I think it is easier to say they'll lose a game or two. Uh, like you guys have said, Stanford's a big one. On the road at Pittsburgh, you know, like everyone knows UCF's defense has struggled against the run recently. Um, you know, so some of those, those Power 5 programs can really just – like you said, battle of the trenches. Um, obviously on the road at Cincinnati, um, you know, UCF doesn't really have a whole lot of back-to-back home games. Um, and I don't think at all, actually. So they're on the road, you know, every other week, basically. Um, and, you know, that much travel could, you know, impact the team. Uh, maybe not the most out of all the other things you've mentioned, but that's one thing that could take a toll on the team towards the end of the season. Um, and then obviously Houston, uh, as you guys have, very well said. King's a really good quarterback, and uh, at that point, we don't even know who's going to be the quarterback for UCF starting that game. It's so far ahead in the future. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's nice to say UCF will go undefeated, but you look at some of these games the past few seasons where they could have uh, lost a game that here and there. I mean, that's it's just really difficult to do. Yeah, and I would have to also throw in uh, in on the board on Houston because uh, yeah, they are they are definitely going to be a wild card and a factor in the in the conference this year. And I think the Cincinnati game is going to be tough. I think that, that being it's a road game, um, a revenge opportunity for the Bearcats. I think uh, I think that will be one. And um, and obviously Stanford's going to be a tough game as well. Um, if if I had to pick UCF to lose in any of those, I would probably pick the Houston game myself. So we move on to the next question. What player are you most excited to watch on offense? And boy, do you have a lot to choose from there, Adam? Yeah, I've got a couple. So I think uh, we did a poll on the show this week, uh, you know, letting the fans kind of vote for uh, MVPs, breakthrough players, and, and Marlon Williams won the breakthrough player award. And so he's a guy I'm really curious to see how he integrates into the offense. Obviously the loss of Snelson, um, you know, how does, how does he fit in as that third receiver? I think we know Gabe and, and Trey Nixon are, are pretty entrenched on the outside. I'm curious to see how the sort of the inside uh, of the offense looks with both Snelson and Kluby gone. But for me, every year, the, the X factor that I'm always really curious about that is, is going to be such an interesting storyline for me is, is Otis Anderson. You know, is he a running back? Is he a receiver? Uh, obviously, I think there were some times last year he was a little confused by his role. Um, I think that they tried to work him into certain sets and, you know, to get the rest of the offense off rhythm. Uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, they ran a, a two-running back site with him and AK, and, and that produced a, a touchdown, I think a conversion. Uh, so I'm really curious how we integrate Otis this year. Obviously, his skill set is off the charts. We, we know what he can do. Uh, we saw him in that big catch, you know, at uh, 
uh, with Memphis in the championship game. So we know he's got the skill set. Um, I just got to think a, a coach like Heupel with his offensive background and, you know, all the different things that he can do. There's got to be a creative way to, to get him more integrated in the offense. I think he's going to be a key for us this year, particularly if we have to lean, uh, you know, on a young quarterback like Dylan Gabriel or maybe a quarterback like, like Brandon Wimbush, who, you know, we're not as confident throwing the football. Having additional weapons out the backfield and short throws, screen passes are gonna, is going to be huge. So for me, Otis Anderson is the guy that I'm, I'm super curious to figure out how we integrate in this year. Brandon, what's your thought? Yeah, um, that was, you know, I think we're, we're all going to kind of sound like we're copying each other here. But yeah, Otis Anderson is the guy I'm really intrigued about. You know, obviously, everyone knows he had a huge uh, true freshman season in 2017 and, and you know, kind of disappeared for a little while, um, you know, last season. And, you know, I you know, wanted him to move to wide receiver and learn that position a little bit. And, um from what I understand and just even coming out of spring in the summer is um, people around the program are just really excited about, you know, the kind of progress he's made. You know, I think everyone assumes that, that Greg McRae is your top running back, but someone who goes to a lot of practices and kind of sees the stuff that we don't get to see on a day-to-day basis. They've raved about Otis Anderson and just say, you know, a quote to me was, you know, if, if you think Greg, Greg McRae is, is 1A, you know, I, we think Otis Anderson is, is 1B. There's no drop-off at all that they think that Otis has caught up to, to Greg McRae. And that, that's just from a running back standpoint. And then you you consider what they're going to do with him potentially in that slot role. Um, so I'm really intrigued to see if kind of the buzz and the hype is there with Otis. And um, I guess to mention another guy would be uh, Trey Nixon. Uh, you know, last year he you know, transferred in from Ole Miss and you know, didn't really play very much at Ole Miss. And they, I don't know what his stats were, barely really played. And so, you know, last year was kind of really his first, you know, full-time season, you know, as a full-time starter. And, you know, he was he was pretty good. I mean, I think there were some areas in his game that he saw he needed to improve on. And, and you know, I've heard a lot of good things about him this offseason. I think uh, the wide receivers coach, Darrell Wyatt, mentioned the other day that he's put on 12 pounds of muscle since last year. Uh, I know Trey – I talked to him the other day after practice and he talked about, you know, he was primarily just an over the top guy. That was pretty much the only catches he got and everything, but he's trying to improve his all around receiving game, the underneath routes and everything else. And, you know, he's got tr- tremendous speed. I- I'd like to see him, you know, kind of put his body on the line a little bit more. I felt he was a little timid at times, if that's the right word in terms of, you know, you saw what Traquan Smith could do, the year before just kind of just you know diving wherever he needed to go you know he didn't shy away from contact at all he played a lot bigger than his frame I think that's one thing if if Trey Nixon can can do that I think he can be an elite an elite receiver so um I've heard a lot of good things about him so I'm kind of excited to see how that translates uh this season for him Eric I mean, that's a good pick. I was going to go with Trey but I'll go this way I'll go Adrian Killings I know he's a senior this is his last go around but I'm just I'm waiting to see his impact, not only how they use him in the offensive game with, you know, as kind of maybe the change of pace guy with Greg McRae. Does he line up a wideout, special team? Can he get some explosiveness, you know, in the, in the kickoff game maybe and contribute there? We, we didn't really have that last year like we did two years ago with Mike Hughes. So could Adrian maybe help in that? In his final year here, I'm kind of fascinated to see how they use him and how he kind of, you know, goes with every game. I mean, I'll never forget. He was the first recruit 
that committed to Scott Frost, right, Brandon? I, guys, I mean, he was the first recruit yeah, in 20 yeah, class. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of hard. It's hard to believe it's been four years since then. Um, and he's had some great plays. So I'm fascinated to see him. You know, I think, you know, Greg McCray kind of came out of nowhere last year and got uh, is getting a lot of attention and rightfully so. I'm just curious to see if Killings now uh, goes out with a bang with a big year and, and really helps this game in, in passing game, running game, and the special team. Jason. Yeah, I mean, Otis Anderson obviously is a guy that a lot of excitement's around, but, I mean, I'm going to go with Gabe Davis. Uh, he had a pretty big breakout season last year, and they, they loved him as a freshman, um, and I want to see what he can do to take his game to the next level. Um, you know, maybe he's turns into one of those even more like Traquan Smith, even though he's a little bit bigger than him. Uh, you know, we saw him go up to the ball a lot, and he's kind of like uh, across from Trey Nixon there. And, you know, those two guys out there really – elite receiving core right there if they can play their best game and then the question is if he does have just an incredible season does he come back for his senior year obviously his little brother is committed uh in this class uh you know maybe that'll be a little enticing to come back and play with his brother at UCF but uh you know what Gabe can do we all know um but I want to see how he can improve just as a wide receiver because you know whoever's going to be the starting quarterback is just going to have a treat to throw to so I think it'll be fun to watch him just develop even further, uh, just to see him, you know, see the potential of him playing possibly on Sundays one day. Well, my guy will be Greg McRae. I mean, I think what we saw last year was just a just a tip of the iceberg, and there's lots more of that to, to come. And I tell you what, it's a great advantage for Josh Heupel to have such a stable of running backs. That's going to take pressure off the off the quarterback situation, in my opinion. And uh, with all those weapons, you can you can get them out in space, a short passing game. And uh, I think there's a, a a lot more for Greg McRae to show us that we haven't even seen as of yet. So let's flip it to the other side of the ball. Who's the guy on defense? Adam? Yeah, for me, uh, my pick's Eric Gilliard. And, uh, and, and, you know, the thing I, I saw, I remember last year that happened, and, and I don't know if, if it was, you know, kind of something that everyone picked up on, but the first game against Memphis, you know, we're, we're getting run all over the place. Um, and, and Pat Jasinski was hurt. Uh, he, you know, kept coming, coming off the field and coming back on. And obviously the defense, you know, struggled. And, and that was kind of the, the, the birth of second half Randy, right, where all of a sudden Randy was able to figure out a defensive scheme. But the other change that happened at that point was Billiard came in and played the entire second half when Jasinski was out. And he made a couple of really key tackles. I don't think he, you know, he, he shined on the stat sheet, right? I don't think he had, you know, 10 tackles and eight tackles for loss, things like that. But he seemed to always be in the right position. And he made a couple of big plays when they need to be made. And uh, I'm excited to see him this year. Obviously, he came into UCF with a lot of hype. Um, he, was a, he was a guy that, you know, was, was uh, committed under Frost. And there was some thought, was he going to leave? Is he going to commit? Is he going to stay? And, and he stays for the Michael staff and, and uh, Shannon. Um, and, and now it's kind of his, it's his defense, right? He's the middle linebacker. Uh, and he gets a chance to take over that uh, that spot. So I think he's a young player. I think he's a uh, he's a he's a heck of an athlete, and uh, I'm excited to see how he kind of takes over from that spot this year and uh, kind of fills the the shoes of a guy like Pat Jasinski, who was a senior leader on the team and that linebacking court. Brandon, yeah, um, there's a lot of uh, interesting picks here. Um, first, I was going to go with one of the a defensive linemen, but I. I think I'm curious to see uh, Aaron Robinson. Uh, it looks like he's the favorite to earn the, the starting uh, nickel uh, back job. Um, last year, that was a you know I, I, that was a job that uh, Rashard Kazi really took a hold of. I, I'm not sure if he began the season at, at starter. 
as a starter in that job, but I know at least a few games into it became a very reliable player and really had a, a breakthrough season, which was kind of amazing for a guy who was a, a senior. I mean, usually a guy doesn't wait that long to, to kind of make their impact, but he really hadn't played a whole lot his first three years and really became, you know, one of UCF's best players on defense. And that has translated for Richard Kazi to have, you know, at least a chance to play at the next, next level. I know, um, he just was picked up uh, by the Broncos, I think, last week. I, I don't know if he'll make a roster, but I think he's a lock to make a practice squad. So uh, losing him is kind of one of the underrated or the kind of the untalked about, not talked about losses on, on defense. And uh, Aaron Robinson, if people remember uh, the very first play of the first game last season, the season opener at, at UConn on that kickoff return, uh, Aaron Robinson was completely laid out. Um, you know, he was motionless on the ground. It was very serious at the time. Like, you know, we didn't know what happened. If he, you know, potentially had something happen to his spine or his neck, it was a scary moment because he was completely knocked out on the ground for several minutes. It just turned out he had a, a severe concussion. Uh, but they wanted to keep him overnight in the hospital in Hartford. He did not fly back with the team afterwards. So, I think he came home like two days later, or maybe that next day. I remember uh, Randy Edsel, the UConn coach, visited him, visited him in, in the hospital. But I, I can't remember what week he came back off the top of my head. I know he was obviously out for a period of time, but he wasn't the same. I mean, when you go through an experience like that and, and all that, I, I know he he wasn't uh, he didn't play to his full full potential. But from what I understand, you know, he's had a really good spring and summer, and he's kind of taken hold of that job. Uh, I know UCF brought in a. Uh, you know, some different players from junior college, Tay Gowan. I know there's a, a safety, Jordan Hayes, uh, Duke uh, grad transfer. You know, there was kind of up in the air who would they would kind of try out at, at that, that nickel position. But from what I understand, Aaron Robinson has had a really good camp and, and is a favorite to start. So I'm sort of interested to see, you know, how he finally pans out. Of course, Aaron Robinson was a transfer from Alabama. Uh, a, a, a couple of years back, was a highly rated player from South Florida. So I, I'm very curious to see how he looks this season. Eric, who's your guy? I'm excited to see Richie Grant. You know, UCF has always produced defensive backs, corners, safeties. I mean, going back to Travis Fisher, Asante Samuel, Josh Robinson. I mean, the list goes on. Joe Burnett. I mean, there's a ton of guys. And to me, I think Richie Grant leads could be the next guy. I think he's going to have a future in the next level. Uh, he's a ball hawk. He's around the ball all the time. Reminds me of Kamal Ishmael a lot. And I'm just excited to see him lead this team and probably the strength of this team at least on the defensive side is that secondary uh with the experience they got coming back and with him leading the way this could have and paper has a chance to be maybe the best defensive back as a as a group that UCF's had which is saying something considering all the great defensive backs I've mentioned they've had but I think Grant is the most talented one I think he's the best overall football player on this team I think he's a leader and I think he'll be he's going to help this team defense be a lot better than they were a year ago and I'm just excited to see him continuing this quiet tradition, maybe defensive back you, if you will, at UCF, and, and having great talent in the secondary. Jason. So I'm going to go with two guys. Uh, and the reason I'm going with two guys is because they're both true freshmen, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste and Tatum Bethune. Uh, they early enrolled, so they've been here for a little bit. If you've heard their names before, that's because they had a pretty good spring and they just worked a, a lot uh, over the summer. And uh, all I heard was good things about both of them, specifically Jeremiah, after both of the scrimmages. Um, you know, we talked with Randy Shannon during Friday's uh, – sorry, during today's uh, media availability, and 
he mentioned that both of those guys are going to be part of that group, that rotation of guys on the defensive line. Uh, you know, something we've heard from Shane Burnham is just how deep this defensive line is. And uh, both of those guys are just going to be able to add uh, great depth. And, you know, Randy mentioned today a guy who was mentioned earlier in this question was Eric Gillard. And he also was an early enrollee and uh, followed that path. And those two young guys right there are definitely going to have an impact on the field. And I'm just excited to see, you know, maybe they can turn some heads and get some more playing time as freshmen. So that'll be uh, fun to watch. And my guy is Nate Evans. Uh, I thought he did such a great job last year. It was a basically a tackling machine. He really helped offset, you know, when Pat Jasinski was hurt and struggling when he came back from injury. And uh, I think Nate Evans is is definitely a, a guy that uh, will will be a big part of UCF's defense. Uh, again, what was it? Double digit tackles, many games. Uh, the big fumble recovery at uh, East Carolina. I mean, this guy is a, is a stud and uh, definitely worth watching. So we kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, are you concerned about special teams with the loss of ladder milk and right, Adam? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I just don't think we know what we have there. Um, so until we get, uh, get these guys on the field to understand, you know, what, what we're dealing with, I think there certainly is some uncertainty there. You know, the good fortune of our offense is Mac wasn't used a ton. But, look, punting is uh, obviously a huge part of, of that phase of the game, right? Heupel talks about all three phases of the game all the time. You know, and if there are situations where our offense stalls, and we saw that a few times last year where we go so fast and, you know, second and nine, Killens into the front of the line, gets a yard, it's, it's third and eight, and bad pass, and now we're punting. You know, the ability to flip the field is huge. And, and Mac usually did a fairly good job of, of, of getting, a, a, getting his field position back in that respect. So, you know, the, the flip side is usually our offense is, you know, pretty prolific and we don't have those issues. But I think the punting thing is, is something that's huge for me. But I think we'll figure out the, the kicking situation pretty quickly. Um, you know, and, and obviously we, we need that. It's, it's good to, to know, you know, Matt Wright was there last year. We could, we could bank on those three points. But, uh, you know, I, I do think it's, a, it's, a, it's an area that we need to keep an eye on. I guess I'm, I'm a little more contrarian. I'm more concerned about the punting aspect just because we don't use it very often. And so when we need to punt, you know, we're, gonna, we're probably going to be pinned deep in, in, a, in a really interesting field position battle. The Stanford game maybe comes to mind, right? Uh, and if, if we have a shank, if we have something along those lines, that could be a devastating field position battle. So I'm going to go the punting is, is certainly my biggest concern, but I think special teams is, uh, is an area that we all have question marks on right now. Brandon. Yeah, uh, we had uh, media availability uh, today with Josh Heupel. And, you know, I think today might have been the most least revealing of any Heupel interview We've had, I mean, not that he's usually ever uh, incredibly <laughs> forthcoming, but he was asked about, uh, are you seeing more consistency from your, from your kickers? And he had the fastest one sentence response ever. I think he said all three positions, kicker, kickoff, punter, snapper. I feel pretty good about where we're at right now, which, you know, he's saying they, he feels pretty good, but he was asked that I think about 10 days ago. And you can see he was kind of struggling to find the right words to describe how he felt. You know, you could just kind of see it uh, in his face that he was not entirely <laughs> comfortable uh, with what was happening there. And yeah, let's face it. I mean, you know, you've got guys coming in that are going to play that haven't had that have never played. You know, the, Matt Wright, Mac Loudermilk, those guys were were on on the point uh, for for so many years. And I, I you know. I haven't done my homework on this, but I can't remember. I remember the last time a game came down to a final field goal. It's been a and while. I, I, 
it hadn't happened the last two years. Um, well, I mean, that, that um, championship game uh, against Memphis in 2017 is kicks it came down to and everything, but um, really on, on the other side. I mean, I remember when Matt Wright won a game, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's concerning. And, you know, I, I've heard that they started camp uh, and things were really rough, but maybe things, particularly maybe from a punting standpoint, have improved as camp has gone on. But yeah, I'm just really interested to see, you know, how that, how that translates. I mean, you never know. You, you, you talk about Memphis game last year and other games that are really close, and it could come down to it. If UCF loses a game, you know, I guess you can always point figures in a lot of areas, but it could come down to say, hey, if UCF could have made that kick or maybe they missed an extra point or, or, or something or other, I mean, it could end up costing UCF a big time. So I'll be very curious to see how that performs the, the first few games of the season. Eric Lopez. 100% agree with Brandon, and I'll, and I'll take it a step further. You talk about Matthew Wright about any games. I don't know if he made any games uh, kicks that necessarily won a game, but you think back to the Memphis regular season game last year, right before halftime, everything's gone against you. You're down 30-14. to 14. Uh, Norville calls the timeout, and Wright, trying to ice uh, Matthew Wright there, he drills the field goal to get him within 13 points and perhaps shift the momentum a little bit. Uh, you know, Absolutely. Adam mentioned uh, mentioned uh, Adam mentioned Loudermilk. He was huge as far as pinning teams down deep in their own territory. So I think this is a huge uh, significant story. I think it's a bigger issue question mark than the quarterback position. We talked earlier about how many quarterbacks might play, especially in the FAMU game. I, my question to you guys, Brandon, I'll start with you. You might. Could we see a situation where we see multiple kickers playing, kicking in the FAMU game, as, and we may not necessarily know who they believe in as far as a full-time kicker, maybe until a couple games into the season? Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, you know, we haven't had a whole whole lot of detail on that. Uh, maybe Jason, I think he's next in line. To, uh, maybe he can chime yeah. in. He's, he's actually talked with the special teams coach, Nick Toth. I have not talked with him this camp. And I'm kind of curious what, what Jason thinks about that because I know he's actually talked to the coach in charge of that unit. Yeah, I spoke with him uh, last week, and uh, things were interesting because, you know, I, I I kind of said what someone mentioned earlier was the idea of this offense is you don't have to punt. Um, you know, but at a certain point, you're going to have to punt, obviously, because that's just how football works. Um, and, you know, just from the punting standpoint, I think he was a little less confident there compared to the kicking-wise um, and, and the, in terms of place kicking and, and field goal kicking. Um, you know, everything I heard from the scrimmages was, you know, it sounds like the field goal kicker is going to be Dylan Barnes, and the guy taking the kickoffs is going to be uh, Daniel Barsky. Um, but when I, I didn't even mention Connor Piazza uh, in my questions, and he actually, Nick, Coach, Coach Toss, uh, actually brought Connor up himself. So um, in terms of could you see multiple kickers, I think absolutely you could see multiple kickers. Um, like I said, I didn't mention Connor Piazza, and he mentioned them on his own. He said he's battling for that spot um, in terms of kicking. It sounds like three guys are going for the two jobs. Um, you know, he did mention that they Dylan himself has improved greatly. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of the punting, Andrew Osteen uh, early enrolled, which helps him a lot. Um, you know, and it just felt like from what he had to say, playing behind Matthew Wright about Dylan was, you know, you're playing behind an NFL kicker um, or, or NFL talented kicker. Um, so that helped him a lot as well. Um, and then in terms of, you know, Daniel, he just, Coach Toff mentioned how big of a leg he has. Um, you know, he, he, he said he was hitting 61-yard field goals in practice. So 
I think the legs are there. Uh, just the game experience isn't. Um, and one thing he just mentioned uh, at the end when I was finished talking with him was just playing under the lights in front of 40,000, 50,000 people, uh, something none of these guys have done. Um, so I think, you know, will we see some anxious anxiety on the field? I, I think so. And that can affect kickers and punters, specifically those guys where it's only them making the play. Uh, but, you know, overall, he sounded, you know, fairly confident in his guys. Um, like we, like you mentioned before, I think all of them have improved uh, over, over the, over the summer and, and in camp. Um, you know, I think punting is definitely more of a concern than the, the place kicking based just off my conversation with uh, coach Toff. Um, but I think, you know, I think, I wouldn't be surprised to see multiple kickers being used. Um, but he, he, he did have confidence in the legs he has. They, he kept talking about how uh, it's a special group. You know, you have a lot of younger guys. I mean, even though we haven't seen a whole lot of Dylan Barnes, uh, you know, he's, he's a, not a freshman. You know, the other guys are all freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Um, you know, he just played behind Matthew Wright. So he knew, and uh, Andrew Osteen, you know, had to deal, had to deal playing behind Mac Loudermilk. Uh, so those guys knew they weren't going to be playing last season unless something catastrophic happened. Um, and the other, the other, sorry, I, I messed up. Um, the other freshman was Alan Curvin. Uh, he's the punter freshman that was there early enrollee, not Andrew Osteen. Uh, Andrew played under Mac, and he just basically told me unless something catastrophic happened, Andrew wasn't going to be playing last season. Uh, and you know, but he was able to learn from Mac, kind of like how uh, Dylan Barnes was able to learn from Matthew Wright. Um, you know, I think, but in terms of the kicking versus the punting, it's definitely, uh, something that could be, could possibly lead to a loss for UCF. Yeah. And I tell you the consistency that Matthew Wright had was, was very strong throughout his career. It was always good to be able to count on three points from 45 yards in on a regular basis. He's had a good camp with the Pittsburgh Steelers, by the way, uh, my Steeler uh, fan friends tell me that he has really pushed Boswell. May not win the job, but that could lead to another opportunity down the line. Hope he doesn't go to Chicago, though, because that could be a big jinx <laughs> to get that job. But, uh, uh, you know, so replacing your place kicker is is big. And 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 Blattermilk did such a great job of pinning people, as we've all mentioned. And um, who's going to step up and give us a celebration like Mac did? <laughs> that's, a, that's a burning question I have as well. All right, so who will be the team MVP? Adam? Well, I'll answer that last question, actually. I think the celebration guy is probably Parker Boudreau, if we had to pick one. Um, <laughs> team MVP. Yeah, again, so I think I'm going to lean towards running backs. You know, I'm excited about what, uh, what Otis Anderson can do. Um, you know, Adrian Killens was mentioned as well. But uh, I'm going to go Greg McRae. You know, I think it's the – a logical choice. I think we saw him blossom last year and, and become sort of the RB one. Um, but again, that, that entire running back room, it's just, it's just filthy how much talent we have in there. And we're not even talking about some of the, some of the other guys, Trillian Coles, Bino Thompson, uh, you know, Demarius Good as a true freshman. And we're not talking about those guys. I and mean, that, that room is just stacked with talent. So how those carries get split up will certainly be a, a storyline, I think, to follow throughout the year. But if I'm taking anything from what we learned last year, you know, when McCray had the ball in his hands, he, he just made plays. Uh, you know, we talked to a few guys this year. Uh, we talked to Taj McGowan, and, and he described Greg McRae as a tactician. You know, set up his blocks, uh, knew where to go, uh, was patient, hit the hole, and was able to, to make one cut and go. 
And so I think we just saw too much from Greg McKay last year. I do think he'll get pushed this year by some of the other backs that are out there, and maybe that splits into his carries and that impacts him. But, you know, I think we, uh, I think we know what we have in Greg McKay, so he's, uh, he's my choice MVP. Brandon? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, that's the most logical pick uh, to have Greg McRae uh, be your MVP. Uh, to kind of, you know, maybe just to give out a little bit of, of a different answer, um, a different pick. Um, I think a guy who certainly could be capable of an MVP type year, uh, he, he wouldn't do it by himself. But, you know, let's Let's uh, let's go with Brandon Wimbush. Um, you know, we know there's a lot of questions at quarterback. Um, we think he's going to start to begin the year. I mean, you know, if he plays well, if he has the kind of season where he is the full-time starter, he's clearly the number one. And, and you know, if, if UCF wins, you know, it's not going to be all because of Brandon Wimbush. He's got a lot of talent around him. But if he can manage the offense, and, and, and improve in some areas where I know he was trying to work on from his Notre Dame days. If he can lead UCF to another undefeated season, I mean, I think you could certainly talk about a guy coming in for one year at grad transfer to kind of keep the train rolling. Uh, you could certainly talk about him in those terms. So, you know, my, my answer would be Greg McRae, but just to kind of say, hey, what if, what if UCF goes undefeated again with Wimbush at the helm? I think uh, maybe I'll just throw that Wimbush name out, out there if that happens. Eric. I'm going to cheat on a, in the answer on this a little bit, but I want to give this group a kind of some love here, and that's the offensive line. And, I, and the reason I say that, and, you know, Jason knows this being in at the practice, and Brandon knows this as well being at the practice. You know, I know people in there, they feel this might be the best offensive line they've had during this run. They're deep, they feel like. Maybe this is the best offensive line they've had in total since maybe the Fiesta Bowl team in 2013. And if they dominate, they're going to make life easier for whoever the quarterback is. And they're going to make life easy for Greg McRae, Adrian Killings, and, and, and anybody that's running behind the, them. And I think they know with no McKenzie Milton, with the uncertainty of who's going to be the quarterback, I think they know that they got to raise their game a little bit and help the quarterback out you know, it, by protecting them. Uh, by, you know, run blocking. And I think the offensive line, I know it's a cheating answer, but I think this group has a chance to alleviate a lot of maybe concerns you might have about the quarterback position based on their performance. So if they have the year that they want to have, maybe go undefeated, win the conference title and all that, I think it starts with the offensive line because I think it wasn't so long ago in 2015 that offensive line was in shambles. And uh, to look at it now four years later where there might be as deep as they've had there, uh, I, I think they might lead the way to the offensive success and help whoever the quarterback is. And Jason? Well, I was going to go offensive line, too, because um, <laughs> it's just a terrific group up front. Um, you know, like you said, with the quarterback and whoever's going to be there, they're going to have a pretty good uh, protective wall. Uh, but I'm just going to go, you know, just to say a different answer, because all those guys everyone's mentioned before could easily be the MVP of the team. Uh, I'm just going to go defense and say Richie Grant, um, just because of the late game situations where you need that turnover. Uh, he's just such a ball hawk, like Eric mentioned before. Um, you know, I really think his impact on the field, his presence in the field, um, just his explosiveness as a defensive player. Uh, you know, if he can improve on what he did last season and become even better um, and, and get more interceptions, um, you know, let's say, there are certain games where UCF maybe doesn't put up a whole lot of points. Those turnovers there, 
uh, from him. You know, all those interceptions he'll gonna he's gonna rack up. We know he's gonna catch them. Uh, those those can definitely impact the game and field position for that matter. So I think uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how he develops and how he improves really. So I'm gonna go Richie Grant. I mean, I know that's kind of a probably not likely just because you know if if teams know how good he is. They won't throw his way, but uh, he's still on the field, and he's still going to have an impact defensively. And my pick, uh, I think I gave it away earlier, Greg McRae. Uh, just, uh, again, I think uh, we are just about to see a whole lot more from him uh, just topping what he did a, a season ago. Um, let's talk about the coaching a little bit real quick. Um, Josh Heupel, do you think he is respected nationally? And, you know, does he get enough love, Adam? I think he's gaining respect nationally. I think, you know, the, the UCF thing is interesting for the outsiders, right? So I don't live in Orlando. I live, uh, I live uh, in California. And so a lot of folks, you know, see me wearing UCF gear and, and see it on my truck and ask me a bunch of, bunch of questions. And uh, I think slowly but surely, you know, we're starting to permeate sort of the national, national consciousness. I think there's you know, some element of last year, I think Heupel even said himself that he was a rookie coach and now he's a veteran. Um, so I think he's starting to get that, uh, um, you know, that gravitas that you would see in, in a coach. And I think he's starting to get the, you know, the, the just do that, uh, you know, that he deserves because the reality is he stepped into what was probably the hardest job in America last year. And I think you can debate all these other places, right? But with the expectations and the team and everything that was happening, uh, I think he stepped into the hardest job uh, in the country. Uh, and I think it was a smashing success, a rousing success. You know, I think last year there was certainly no respect because we were downgraded in polls because of Josh Heupel. That was the thinking, right? We lost the coach. We lost the coaching staff. And so that were downgraded in the polls. And that conversation stopped this year, right? So I think he's gained that respect. I, I think he's starting to make a, a name for himself nationally. Um, you know, I think he's, you know, he certainly has, uh, has proved himself to, to be a, a great offensive mind. And I think our our system and our, and our, our scoring um, output, uh, you know, dictates that. Um, I think he's starting to get a, a name as a recruiter and some of the classes he's held together. So I think he's on his way to that trajectory. You know, certainly I think there, there's still some consistency to go. Um, but I definitely think that uh, he's, he's beginning to chip away at the, uh, the old guard and uh, get that recognition he deserves. Brandon. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting how things have kind of, you know, transitioned year to year, obviously the early success, everyone attributed to Scott Frost and what he was able to do and, you know, going undefeated and winning the peach bowl and everything. So, you know, you had voters, um, which <laughs> Brent McMurphy, maybe the highest profile, one of them didn't want to give Heupel or the team or really any credit going into last season because UCF lost Scott Frost. And so I think last season's success, you know, kind of, you know, obviously Frost gets credit for kind of getting that train rolling, but I think it kind of transitioned. Well, maybe it wasn't necessarily all Frost. Maybe it's because of McKenzie Milton and, and the fantastic season that he had. So this is the season where Heupel can really establish himself, I think, to, to kind of take more of the credit for UCF success. I mean, he inherited a fantastic opportunity, as everyone knows, with, with the, the team that he, you know, took over and the talent already here. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of people are still saying, you know, you're winning with Frost, with, you know, a large part Frost system, a lot of, with Frost players. Uh, but if, if Heupel can put up, a, you know, I don't know if you said, like I said earlier, if they're going to win every game, but if they can put up a New Year's Six type season, maybe only lose one game with, you know, a, a quarterback that 
Heupel recruited, whether that's a Wimbush and, and they improve his game, or maybe a Dylan Gabriel or, or somebody like that. I think that'll go a long way to kind of putting uh, Heupel's name out there as, as one of the up-and-coming, you know, rising stars in college football. I think he already is, but I think those question marks kind of looming above his head will, will definitely disappear if UCF goes out, goes out and have a, has a great year. Eric. Yeah, I think it depends on how he does this year without Mackenzie Milton. I think last year people are like, well, he's got Scott Frost's players. He's got Mackenzie Milton. Coaches normally don't get the uh, the love right in that first year. If he backs it up this year with another strong year like last year, without Mackenzie Milton in the situation at the quarterback position, then I think his name becomes a hot name um, for you know that will be brought up at other jobs and. I, you know, develop a storyline that I wouldn't be shocked it happens here, and I know people aren't going to want to hear this, but, you know, there's a lot of talk in the NFL about whether Jason Garrett gets let go after this year with the Dallas Cowboys, and a lot of people believe that Jerry Jones, if he does that, is going to go after Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma head coach. Well, if the Oklahoma job opens and Josh Heupel has another big year, you know that chatter is going to be there. They're going to connect that. Whether it happens or not, it's going to get connected. And so I think that's what could happen uh, if he has another monster year. So I, to answer the question, I don't think it's there yet. Remember, he didn't win coach of the year in the league. Uh, they gave it to Luke Fickle of Cincinnati, uh, who did a great job. So, But I think if he has a strong year this year, then he become, I think he skyrockets as far as among the names and, and the credibility up there as far as nationally, as far as coaches are concerned. Jason? Yeah, I think you're beginning to see that. Uh, even in the AP poll, you know, after – uh, the Peach Bowl year, they bring in uh, Josh Heupel and UCF is 21st in the preseason poll. And now, you know, coming off a loss against LSU, they're, they start 17th. Uh, and I think that has to do with just the fact that, okay, they're they're real and they can sustain some success for a short amount of time. Um, obviously, as everyone said, I think, you know, not having Mackenzie Milton for the first time in a little bit, um, especially for Josh Heupel, uh, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how he gets creative uh, with his coaching style. Um, just being around him, being around him with the media, just being around him uh, for another year compared to last year. He's, I think he's a little bit more himself. I think he's a little bit more laid back. Obviously, he's not like spilling the beans every day, uh, <laughs> like we want him to answer some of our questions. But I think he's just a little bit more fun to be around. And I think uh, as he coaches this season, if he does have a really good season, a lot of people are gonna go, "Wow, he is." Uh, a pretty good coach, um, and I think we're going to see that from him this year. So I think as the season grows or the season goes on, uh, they'll gain more respect for him as a head coach. All right, so now it's bold prediction time. So let's uh, toss it around the room, and uh, Adam, you got one for me? Bold prediction time. Yeah, this is interesting. So uh, I'm not sure what how, how do we qualify bold here. Um, <laughs> my, my my bold prediction is I think there is a game on our schedule, and it's not Stanford, it's not Houston, and it's not Cincinnati, where we are going to be down late and have to pull out a victory. And so I think uh, historically UCF's always had that game right where where things haven't really gone our way and. We've been on a run of late other than the Memphises of the world. Uh, but I think outside of those three games, I see a game on our schedule where it is a one-score game late, and, and we are going to have to execute at a high level with either, you know, a, an unproven quarterback and a Dylan Gabriel or, a, you know, a Mac Wimbush combination of some sort uh, to, to bring us back. So I got, a, I got a sleeper game on the schedule. I don't know which one yet. Maybe a trap game here and there. 
uh, maybe maybe Temple, who knows, um, that uh, that we end up in a, in a one score game at the end. Yeah, East Carolina might be a possibility too. You yeah, never know. For sure, uh, Brandon. So, what was what was the question exactly? Uh, the game that you think is the underrated game to be a close game? Oh no, uh, just was was asking if you have a bold prediction for the season. Something that oh, okay, uh, a, a a bold prediction. Okay, because I, I didn't I didn't follow the bold. Well, if you're talking about a bowl, um, you know, if UCF is to win a conference championship and, and be in the mix uh, for that New Year's Six there really isn't any other option. If UCF is in that spot, they'll go to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the way that it's it's lined up this year with, you know, conference tie-ins and, and rotating the playoffs and what have you. So, you know, I, I don't know if UCF is going to win every game. They certainly can. Uh, I do think that even if they don't, depending on what other teams do, um, you can still win your, your conference championship and still be in the best shape in the group of five. So my, my prediction would be that UCF uh, goes to that game and will be playing uh, in Jerry World. Uh, is it December 30th? I don't think it's a January 1 game this year. Uh, but whatever no, that late. December 28th. Okay, December 28th in uh, Arlington, Texas. Eric? That's a good one there. I'm going to go – I don't know if this counts as bold, but I think UCF this year will have two guys start at quarterback at some this year. I don't think we're going to have one guy. Remember, I gave you that little factoid earlier this year. I think that trend continues. I don't know who they are because, well, I was kind of hoping maybe when we did this show, he would know the starter to begin with. But uh, I'm still going to stick with it. I think there will be two quarterbacks that, that will start this year for UCF at some point. Jason. Okay. We're both making bold decisions and bold predictions. Um, <laughs> a bold decision, I, I mean, a bold projection i guess uh would just just i don't know if they go undefeated um but a bowl projection you know i know there are certain american athletic conference games or athletic tie-ins uh for the bowl games you know if they don't make the cotton bowl um you know maybe the birmingham bowl i, I don't know exactly i know it's based off location um uh, you know i know they added a new bowl at, at fenway park uh against an acc team that'd be kind of fun to go to boston um you know, but I think I think it's New Year's six or bust, so I'm just going to go with Cotton Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, we're all going Cotton Bowl. I'll give you this. How about this extra line then? Cotton Bowl against Notre Dame. Huh? A little, maybe a little Brandon Winbush storyline there against his former team. Let's, let's go with a little, little storyline there. Hey, we're in Dallas. That's all that matters. Uh, Maya, now I got to cheat a little bit because I've had a little more time to think about a bold prediction, so I kind of – put you guys on the spot a little bit. I appreciate your sportsmanship as far as that goes. My bold prediction is that November 2nd, the Houston game, ESPN College Game Day will return. Ooh. Yeah, I kind of think, uh, have a feeling that both teams will be uh, probably undefeated at that time, and uh, they'll have no choice but to come back and give us some more love. So. I could see that. I actually have looked that up because I know a lot of people were speculating about the Stanford game maybe for game day, but uh, even Kurt Herbstreit was on on a serious uh, show, and he said Syracuse and Ames, Iowa were two places they were looking at for that weekend. Uh, they've never been to those places before. I, and I looked at the schedule, and I actually saw what you saw, Jeff. I think the Houston game, if Houston has a big year, uh, with UCF, I could see that being a potential game day deal, uh, especially, for example, because I think I looked at the schedule. The main competition is the Florida-Georgia game. So let's say Florida has a couple losses already, or maybe Georgia's not lived up to the hype. Yeah, I could definitely see them going to the UCF-Houston game. 
especially uh, since they'll broadcast it on one of their platforms anyway, either ESPN or ABC or whatever, whereas the Florida-Georgia game is on CBS. So I, I like that as a bold prediction, actually. If they were to return uh, this year for college game day, that would be my choice. Would be I think it could be that Houston game. Yeah, I was thinking at one point that it would have been great for them to do UCF Cincinnati, but that game's on a Friday, so that kind of yeah, ruined yeah, that thought agreed. too. So that would have been kind of a neat uh, uh, opportunity there. So let's go around the room one last time and let you guys uh, plug what you do online, podcasting, whatnot. Adam, take it away. Yeah, you can catch uh, Mike and I uh, each week on the Sons of UCF show exclusively on the Nightline Sports Network. Brandon. Yeah, and this is Brandon Helwig. Uh, you can find me uh, at UCFsports.com, uh, UCF Sports on Twitter. Uh, I'd love to have you join up. Eric? You could. You can follow us on UCF underscore Banneret. We have all UCF coverage there on blackandgoldbanneret.com. We cover football, basketball, uh, everything there. We do a weekly podcast with myself and Brian Murphy and Jeff Sharon. We have coaches from all the sports on and other different guests. Uh, and just check us out at uh, UCF underscore Banneret. That's the best place for uh, to check it out. Uh, we'll be there every game of the, the way there and uh, with all the latest in UCF news. Jason. Yeah, follow me on Twitter uh, at the real Beedy, B-E-E-D-E. Uh, I'm the publisher of Knights 24-7, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, so check us out, knights247.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter, and you know I'll be traveling to a, traveling to a bunch of games, as some of these guys probably will be as well. And uh, just looking forward to our great season, so follow along. All right, so Adam Eaton, Brandon Helwick, Eric Lopez, Jason B. Guys, this was fun. I really appreciate you guys giving me an hour of your time. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Enjoyed uh, enjoyed being on. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.